I just realized, I was sitting there, and I was talking to Kathy, and I looked down at my watch. It's, uh, it has a, the date on it, and uh, this coming Saturday is Christmas. I don't know. Some of you guys already knew that, and you're good, and you're ready to go. But um, that means one thing to me when I, when I see this is, this is it. It's time to get started shopping, right? Time to hit it. I know for some of you, you think, oh, my goodness, that's a little premature, but... I like to get it done, you know. Some people procrastinate and they wait till Christmas Eve, but not me. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get it done tomorrow. I only lack a few of the people that I give to, uh, all of them actually, and and you know I can I can do that because I've got it I've got it all here, it, and that's what's important. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow, just getting out there celebrating Christmas. Some of you I won't see again until after Christmas, maybe unless you're at cafe. Or we are having a communion service on Christmas Eve across the street at the Student Center. It's always a beautiful night. We always have, we always have folks come in from the community to, to celebrate with us. So we, we hope you can be there at 6. Uh, but for others who are traveling, a lot of our students are already gone. Uh, and, and I did the same old joke, you know, like you do every year. Hey, see you next year. <laughs> you know, and that's the way it is for some of you. I won't see you again until after Christmas. And isn't the day after Christmas, to be honest, isn't the day after Christmas just a little bit disappointing? You know, isn't it just like a little anticlimactic or something? I mean, maybe there's, there's just something about that day. Maybe it's that part of the holiday didn't meet your expectations, didn't, you know, it doesn't work out like you envisioned. You know, you have these dreams about oh, Christmas this year is going to be like this, and then it didn't happen. Um, sometimes you just don't want it to be over, especially if you're a student. you got to go, you know, you got to start thinking about, uh, are we going to go back to school or to work or whatever it is? You know, and you think, I'm really not ready for Christmas to be over yet. Sometimes you just spent way too much on Christmas, <laughs> and the new year is pretty frightening, and you're starting to watch the mailbox and think, okay, here it comes. And it's just a little after it's kind of disappointing and I had this thought this week I wondered how Mary and Joseph felt after everything was done you know I mean all these announcements and these prophecies and and, and everything leading up to, to this moment when Messiah would come and then he does and he's born in this stable in Bethlehem what happened the next day I mean, did the shepherds say, well, that was great. Thanks for letting us be here. We got to get back to the sheep. We, you know, got some, some temps working that and really don't know how to do that. Or, you know, did the kings and, the, you know, the magi, the, the, you know, those people go, wow, this was awesome. We really got to get on the road. You know, how your relatives, some relatives just stay and stay and others go, oh, we got to get on the road. We, we left the dog and, you know, all these kind of issues. And so everybody starts dispersing. What happened? Mary and Joseph, and there's this wonderful, this amazing event in the stable. And then, well, you know, the Bible tells us, and we know that they stayed in Bethlehem because the gospel writer Luke tells us that eight days after Jesus was born, they had him circumcised according to Jewish custom. Luke tells us even more uh, than that, about that little gap. And he fills it in just a little bit. He tells us that something took place 40 days after Jesus was born. 
He tells us how Mary and Joseph presented Jesus in the temple. And there they were met by Simeon and Anna. And I wonder if even for Simeon and Anna, this prophet and prophetess, if the whole thing was a, a little disappointing for them too. I mean, everybody had been waiting for Messiah for so long. And they had this built up to be this thing, you know, and everybody had a vision or an idea, and you can imagine, just like today, you know, when something happens, and you can go to the Christian bookstore, and there's all these interpretations of this is how it's going to be, and I think that's what, and people speculate, and, you know, and debate about that, and and, and it was the same thing during that time. Everybody talked about, well, here's what's going to happen when Messiah comes, and the thing is, nobody got it. (laughs) Everybody missed it, and this is not exactly what they envisioned it to be. And you just can't help but wonder, was that just a little bit uh, disappointing? I want you to see a, um, a piece of art. This is a painting uh, that goes all the way back to the 14th century, an Italian artist named Ambrosio Lorenzetti uh, painted this scene. I always like to throw in a little science or art history or mathematics on a Sunday morning. I feel like that just... We grow together intellectually as a, as a family. This is, this is a, a somewhat famous painting that he did. And, and this scene depicts, this is Simeon and Anna. And they're gathered there at the altar. It wouldn't have looked like this. You, you notice he just kind of uh, projects medieval you know, trappings into first century. And we kind of do the same thing. You know, Every Sunday school class I ever visited as a child, there's this kind of a blonde white Jesus, you know, the hanging on the wall. And I think, is that what he looked like, really? So he was sort of Jewish, but not. He was mostly American. Um, that They kind of do the same thing here. Um, there's Mary and Joseph. They're, they're just looking on with this amazed silence. Uh, the prophetess Anna, you notice that she's got her eyes fixed on the child. And the bearded uh, Simeon... Uh, He's got this solemn look on his face. He's just staring down at the baby in his, in his arms. Yet the center of the attention, the, the thing that was so uh, interesting, uh, avant-garde at that time, was the baby himself. Jesus at the center of the picture is what surprises everyone. The family may marvel the age. Simeon and Anna may prophesy but this child, you may not be able to see it. This is like the best, you know, reproduction we could get up on the screen. And our, our projectors are a little dark. Uh, but the baby Jesus is sucking his thumb. And just the thought of that was almost sacrilegious. It was almost like, that's too human. That's, oh, you're making him too much like a real baby. You know, and, and that was just so unexpected. And... and Within the painting, there's this metaphor uh, that the prophet and even the parents are, are thinking, but you're Messiah. Oh, but you really are a baby. You really are. And that's kind of what that painting is about. Now, now Luke doesn't tell us exactly that, okay? Uh, Lorenzetti and I, <laughs> the two artists of the day, we, we kind of stretch that because the Bible doesn't say, and Jesus sucked his thumb. You know, or, or any of those things. But there's surprising things about this scene. I think that nobody really thought through the details of what it would mean for Messiah to come 
not as this conquering king, not in this outrageous military setting, you know, with a chariot and, you know, and Rome is trembling because at last there's Messiah. No, he's in this stable. He's in this cave and he's a baby. And within that, everything starts off normal enough. You know, Mary and Joseph are doing what every Jewish parent would do and knew they were supposed to do. Luke makes that really clear. In fact, I want to talk about that for a second. Look at, um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24, it says this, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, that's, and Luke is so amazing. And the, the thing I love about his gospel is how detailed, you know, he, he's so precise, really does his homework to, to let us in on some of these things. And what he's doing here is that Luke is wrapping up uh, together uh, two ceremonies uh, that were both prescribed in, in the law of Moses. The first was all about the purification of the mother. After the birth of a son, a woman would be ritually unclean for 40 days. And there were certain rules and restrictions that went along with that. And at the completion of that time, she would go and offer a lamb or a dove or a pigeon uh, to the Lord. And if she was poor, she wouldn't be able to afford the lamb. She couldn't get something nice. So she would offer a, a pigeon, you know, which were pretty cheap. But to kind of bump it up a little, you think, well, a pigeon's really not a lot to get. You buy another pigeon. And that, that's what he's describing here, that she got a pair of turtle doves or a couple of pigeons. You could do an extra one. And that was, that was kind of a common thing. Mary's offering was that of the poor. So we get an, a clue of where they were economically, uh, that Mary and Joseph were just, they were blue-collar workers. He was a carpenter. Uh, you know, they, they were just there. They were doing the best they could. But it's a little unusual, and I didn't catch that until this year. I told Kathy, I said, it's funny how many times I've, I've studied and read and looked at, at this passage in Luke 2, and every year I think, oh, Lord, help me, because I don't know what else there is in there, you know. But I learn a little something every time, every time. I don't think uh, Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers told me once, he said, you will never, I said, how do you preach from the same book week after week after week? You never deviate. You use the same thing over and over and over, and you get all these fresh messages. He said, you will never exhaust scripture. There's so much there. Well, one of the little things that I noticed in this that it, it talks about their purification. I thought, well, back up a little. It's just Mary's purification, right? I mean, she's had the baby. And then I realized that if Joseph had been on the scene and there's nobody else there but shepherds, you know, he's, he's there and she says, it's coming, the baby's coming. You know, and they start that whole scene in this cave, and Joseph's looking around going, I need a midwife here. I need a doctor. I need somebody. And they're, everybody, they're looking at him. And the shepherds are standing here going, we don't know nothing about birthing no babies. You know, we, know, we can do a sheep. We can do a sheep for you, but we're not doing a baby. You know, so Joseph had to help deliver his own son, Jesus. So he is now unclean because of his involvement in the birth process. 
Uh, and it's likely that Joseph, he's ritually unclean as well. So for their, the Bible says, for their purification, very accurate, very accurate in Scripture of what's going on here. The second ceremony that Luke is giving us a, a glimpse of involves this dedication of the firstborn son uh, to God. And this goes back. Do you remember the story of the Exodus? God told the Jews to place the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their homes uh, and they would spare the firstborn sons. Uh, from Since that time, it had become this custom. God said, well, the firstborn son belongs to me. But an offering of five shekels would buy the son back. You could redeem your son uh, by, by paying that. And here's the unusual thing in this passage is that Luke, you know, he's always mentioning these details and he's telling us the little things about this that other people leave out. But he doesn't say anything about redeeming this child from his belonging to the Lord. And that was curious to me. And I, he has this different status than others. And, and Luke might be hinting at the fact that Jesus, I thought of another guy in Scripture who was in a similar circumstance, and that was Samuel. Do you remember Samuel, who the Bible says was dedicated to God, and then he went to live at the temple, that, that he, he, he lived there? And it was interesting to me, too, you know, that we have this scene about Jesus, and then the, the, what, what do you, where do you see Jesus? The very next scene. There's this gap, right? There's this big empty place right there in Scripture, and the Bible just fast-forwards and we find Jesus, the next time we see him, he's 12 years old. And guess where he is? He's in the temple. And guess what he says he's doing? I mean, he's just so comfortable there. And everybody's worried and like, where did Jesus, where was he? Yeshua is missing and we've got to find, and they go, Jesus, what are you doing in the temple? And he's just real, he's not rebellious. He says, oh, didn't you know? I've got to do my father's business. It's like that place just felt so at home to him. You ever wonder what happened in those years? You know, um, he's just a couple of, you know, he's a month and a half old. And then the next time we see Jesus, he's 12. What was his childhood like? You know, he's just like the, the perfect child. It was just an ordinary boy in a lot of ways. But he was at home in the temple. Mary and Joseph are doing things exactly by the book. No less than five times in this story does Luke mention that everything was done according to the law. He, he, he really wants us to get Mary and Joseph are great parents, and they're, they're spiritual people, they're people of faith, and they're, they're going to do, they're, they dot every I, they cross every T, they're not going to leave anything out, they want to get this right. I don't know, you know, I've had three children, and I don't think, if, if those of you who are parents, you know, there's no energy or thought that you put into a child like you do your firstborn, right? Oh, my goodness. When our first child was born, James Dobson was the guru of parenting, right? I mean, he's still, I still respect that man. He's taken so many hits, but he's, he's written brilliant books, and we, we read The Dare to Discipline, yeah, our kids love that book. <laughs> they love. 
um, the strong-willed child. I mean, we read that. We read other authors and other books, but we, I just had shelves of books about parenting. It's like you get to your child and you think, wait, let me see what the book says to do. They're crying. Do we pick them up? Do we leave them there? Do we, do we kind of pick them up? Do we hold them up? Do we, you know, let me go see what the book says. You know, we, and we, we were trying to do everything just right. You know, you think, well, what this? Now, Mary and Joseph had that kind of thing going on as first parents, but they also had a sense. There was this awareness of this isn't, I mean, firstborn is a big enough deal, but he's not just firstborn. He is special. He's Emmanuel. I mean, we've seen angels, and we've had prophets, and we've had our cousins, and all these crazy things happen. This child is something very special. He is the one. We, we think he's the one that we've all been waiting for. Oh, no pressure. You know, oh, don't mess that kid up. <laughs> don't, you know, uh, you ever seen children and you think, oh, if I was your mama, just, you know, when you're shopping, when you're in the mall, or do you ever think five minutes? Give me five minutes, I'll straighten that child out. You know, and you just, Mary and Joseph had this pressure like, oh, my goodness, everybody, if Jesus, turn, you know, he grows up and, he, and he's not acting right, they're going to look at us and go, oh, thanks. Oh, it's just Messiah, and now you've, you know, you've, you've, you've warped this whole thing. So they were very careful to get it right. They want to do it right. It wasn't long before Joseph and Mary encounter a man who sees much more in their baby than someone who would just keep the Jewish laws. They're met by this old man named Simeon. Look at verse 25. It says, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He knew, I mean, he was told, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to die until you see it. So he knew it was going to happen. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, saying, and this is where everything departs from the script, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Whoa. Luke takes a lot of time. He, he, he takes some pains to describe Simeon. He's an ideal Jew. He embodies everything that God intended for his people. He's righteous. He's devout. He operates with integrity toward others and toward God. I mean, he's just, he's the real deal. And not only that, but Simeon, the Bible says, is waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is another way of saying, saying, I'm waiting for Messiah. I'm looking for Messiah. That's what my life's all about. And that this Messiah, when he comes, would bring consolation. He would bring comfort to his people. People who were anxious, they were oppressed, they had been abused. Uh, 
you know, all of these things that happened in the life of Israel says it's through this person, through Messiah, uh, that he's going to bring this healing. The Holy Spirit, you know, in the New Testament is called the Comforter. Isn't that something that he used? You know, the, the Bible just is so consistent using that language all the way through. And the Bible says here that it, it actually says the Comforter it was upon him. It was, it was upon him. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, you're going to see Messiah before you die. I mean, now you're, now you're looking, right? Now you're waiting because you know. It's as if an angel were to visit me and say, Dan, the second coming of Jesus, you're going to see it before you die. I mean, I start doing the math, right? I start thinking, okay, I'm probably going to live 60 more years. <laughs> Could be because I, I take such good care of myself. But, um, you know, I know it's going to be in that time frame. You see, right now, I think that. And I've told my kids, I think Jesus will come before you. I said, I don't know if he'll make it before I live out my lifetime. But I, I really believe that, that you will be one of those generation that's caught up in the air. And I said, I envy that. I think that would be so cool rather than just dying. You know what I mean? I mean, dying's honorable, but one day I'll just die and they'll say, Dad died. Or You know, I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't even talk about this. This is awful. This is morbid. But, um, you know, and... Some of you, you'll, you'll come, some of you will come to my service, and you'll pretend you liked me, and, you know, and people say nice things, and they'll put pictures of me up, and I'll go, oh, I wish I hadn't put that picture up, and, but it won't matter because I'm not there, and, you know, but just to be that generation that's just in the twinkling of an eye, it's caught up and goes to see Jesus. Well, Simeon is told, you're going to be the generation that ushers in Messiah. You've waited, you've waited, you've waited, and all your people have waited. Simeon? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You get to see it. Have you ever waited for an important letter to come? And I know this is a generation of Facebook and tweets and emails, and I don't get much mail anymore. I mean, I, at home, I don't, get, I don't get calls on the home phone anymore. I don't, I don't use the house phone a lot, and I don't get mail. I, I don't get a lot of I got a letter from one of our college students this week that was, and I told Katie, I said, I got a note from this person. It was just really sweet. Um, and she goes, oh, like an email. And I said, no, it was on paper. It was written on paper. It was so cool. You know, I've, I'm going to keep it. I mean, I, I don't know what to do. What do I file this? It's made of paper. You ever waited on a letter like that? Maybe it's a letter for an acceptance into a college or a job. Or, or maybe, you know, to see if you, maybe your handgun carry permit is, you know, you're, you're waiting. I'm, I'm in Tennessee. So we're, you're waiting every day, you know, for... Uh, that to come. By the way, I went to the, I'm just so, I'm such a redneck pastor. I went to the range to shoot and a guy came in and he said, yeah, I'd like this and like this. And he goes, oh, and I'd like one of those license. He says, a license, like a hunting license? He goes, no, I want a license to carry a gun. He says, sir, we don't sell those here. <laughs> he, said, he said, well, I'm, I just moved here from California and I thought that was going to be one of the good things about Tennessee. <laughs> <We> just, <laughs> Here's your gun. Now, here's your gun, and um, if you hit or kill something on the way home tonight, you can eat it, you can have that, that's, that's all good. Simeon was watching the mail every day. When I was a kid, and this is really going to date me, but if you saved box tops from certain cereal companies, you'd save up like 10 of those or whatever, it's just a marketing kind of a gimmick, and you sent those off, and then they would send you a toy or you know, a prize of something. It's a ridiculous way to get you to eat more and more Frosted Flakes. So we would do that, you know, and then I would watch the mail. 
Yeah, you go get the mail? Oh, yes, because it may have come today. And you'd go out there and you'd check and oh, it didn't come today. You know that feeling, right? I think that's the way Simeon felt. He couldn't rest. Every morning he'd wake up and he'd try to make himself stay in bed. And he'd think, mm, I'm going to get out of the temple. I'm going to go down to the temple because today might be the day. Today might be the day. And he enters every, each and every day wondering, is he going to be here? Is this going to be it? Is this going to be the time? He's waiting for that letter that, that God had promised him. And one day he senses in his spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him as he goes into the temple. And, and scripture kind of gives us a clue. This wasn't his ordinary time to be at temple. You know, he had a schedule. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the schedule and the routine and there were a lot of these guys that would come in and out and, you know, hey, Simeon, you know, hey, Bart, how are you? And they'd get on and off duty. It wasn't his time. You know those people who work at a place and then they go back and hang out at that place even when they're off duty? Come on, get a life. <laughs> I had a friend that worked at Starbucks and, and you know, hey, oh, you were, are you the barista today? No, I'm just here because I don't have anywhere else to go. So I go to work even when I'm off work. <laughs> Well, Simeon would go to the temple. Said, what are you doing here? Go on home. Relax for a while. No, I'm cool. This is good. I just want to kind of hang out at the temple. Well, this day he's there at an unusual time because the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. And, and at that very moment, is this is so, I just love Scripture because this is so much like God. At that very moment, Mary and Joseph walk in with Jesus. He just, I'm going to go down to the temple. Simeon, where are you going? I'm going to, I forgot, I'm going to go down to the temple. You just got back. No, I'm just, I'll be back. I'll be back. Go ahead. I'll be, I'm just going to go down and check things out. And inside, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, go to the temple. Go to the temple. And at that exact moment, in comes Yeshua with his parents. And somehow, he just knew. He said, this is it. It's today. This is the one. He's the one. And he takes this child in his arms. He gives thanks to God, and he just begins to pray. I love that. And he says, now, I can die contented. I can die. All my dreams have come true. All my wishes are fulfilled. Lord, that's it. Everything on my bucket list is checked off. Um, I'm ready to go anytime you want to come get me. Because I've seen my Savior and at first glance, there's really nothing new or unusual about what's, what's going on or what he says. He talks about salvation. And that note's been struck before. You know, we know that Jesus, his very name means salvation. We heard Mary sing, uh, God of my Savior. Zechariah praised God for bringing in the horn of salvation who could deliver us from all of our enemies. Even the angels told the shepherds a Savior has been born. So it's not real surprising or off track that, you know, Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. That's the theme that runs all through the birth of Jesus. That's what Christmas is really all about. It's about salvation. But there's something different here. There's something else that happens. It's this new note. Uh, he says... This gift of salvation has been prepared for all peoples. Now, we've heard this so much. Probably by the time you're in second grade, you're standing there and you're reciting that, you know, and you, you, you know what that says. But in this day, 
That was so provocative. It was so different. And then he calls him a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. You could have heard a pin drop. Everything just took a real hard turn. This is not what they were kind of thinking. Even though the angel Gabriel had already told the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. They just went, yeah, yeah. Because you see, when they hear all people, they just assume, well, that's Israel. It's like some of, some of us. You know, when I say all people, you think, oh, Americans. You know, guess what? There are more people than just the people who live in America. Israel had a hard time. The Jewish people had a hard, it was just a different concept. It's just for us. It's just for us. This is who's going to deliver us from our enemies. It's all about us. It was assumed that, but it was, it was not the case. It's as clear as can be here. It says Israel's glory is that the Messiah will come through them. Hey, good for you guys. He's going to come through you. It's going to be you. But it's not coming just for you. Messiah is not just about you. It's for Gentiles. This had never been thought this in those days, there was not equal opportunity. There was not, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and it may not mean a whole lot to us now because we're kind of used to that concept. But, guys, this would have been absolutely shocking to Mary and Joseph. This was not what they, what? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, look at their reaction. Verse 33, it says, And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. The word amazed is really pretty good. It can be translated marveled, and it means that they were like this kind of amazed. You know where you go, <gasps> but it means they just kept doing that. <sighs> you know, they just kept marveling. You don't get it. What? They just kept thinking about that. And even though they couldn't really wrap themselves around it, they, they, they didn't quite get it. They understood enough to know, okay, Yeshua is going to be more than just a national hero. We thought he was going to be a big deal for Israel, but we're kind of getting the idea it's going to be more than that. I mean, if you were to transplant this into modern times, you could see, you know, the headlines uh, on, on your, your, you know, your e-reader, on the, in the newspaper, local boy makes good. Uh, Israel saved, you know, a Time Magazine's baby of the year. He would be right there on the cover. Uh, something good finally comes out of Nazareth. You know, I mean, it would be... And then there are the photos. There would be pictures of him with celebrities. You know, Usher would say, I found him. I was one of the guys. I found the baby Jesus, and I discovered him. And he would YouTube the birth, you know, and put it up there. Uh, he would be pictured with the high priest. And, you know, uh, Caesar Augustus would be, you know, like holding the baby. Let me hold the baby and get a picture. Get a picture of that and send that out to, to the press. Um, and there would be official parties. Uh, Lady Gaga would want to come sing. I mean, it would just be this huge media deal, this red carpet kind of treatment. And Mary and Joseph would be there in the middle of it, and they're just beaming, going, yeah, we're the parents. We're, we're mom and dad. And uh, you, you ever see that, you know, when, when somebody's playing, uh, like in a bowl game or whatever, and they flash up to their parents? And if they get hurt, they flash up to their mama, and she's want, you know, she's wanting to run down onto the field, and they're just, oh, mama, professional NFL football player, don't run down the field and go, my baby, my baby. You know, but they're just so proud. Maybe you have felt like that. And Mary must have just, she sat there like a Heisman Trophy winner's mom, 
summa cum laude from somewhere prestigious like Union University, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just a Nobel Prize winner. Simeon's news is just marvelous. It's just this amazing thing. No wonder verse 34 starts off with Simeon blessing Mary and Joseph. Like, bless you. And they're like, oh, stop. We didn't, we didn't do anything. Just had Messiah. That's all. You know, we just want to do our part. It's the pride that they felt. But then, check this out. When Simeon spoke again, they must have wondered, wait a minute. Did we hear him right? Did he say? Simeon goes on to say this good news actually going to be bad news for some people. He says this in verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That's just what a mother wants to hear about her baby. And for the first time in Luke's gospel, there's this darkness. There's this thread that's woven into this, this bright, happy scene, this tapestry that you, know, and you can imagine Mary and Joseph going, what? They just kind of look at each other for a moment and their, their faces fall and they think, wait, we're doing everything right. And all the problem, you know, what, what, why, why are you being so gloomy? Simeon, why so serious? Why did you say, where, where have we gone wrong? Who wants to have a son dedicated like that? He will cause many people to rise and fall in Israel. No one's going to say the same. There are going to be people who reject him. There will be people who like him. There are people who are accepting. But he is a sign to be opposed. He's, in other words, he's going to be spoken against. Who wants to have a son described like that? Well, that baby, this is what Simeon was saying. That baby, there's going to be trouble. That baby's going to be trouble. He's not going to be the most popular kid at West Nazareth Middle School. You know, he's, he's not going to be that guy. And then he goes on to say... Um, you know, it's going to be more than that. Simeon said the thoughts of many hearts are going to be exposed. What is the one thing people don't like, particularly people in sin? The thing they dread, that they fear, that they hate more than anything else in the world is exposure. You don't want your thoughts broadcast, you know, on these screens. If, if I could just do, you know, like mind reading and say, oh, let's just pick out a couple of minds right here and put them up on the screen. You go, no, 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 don't pick me, don't pick me. He says, you know, hearts are going to be exposed. People don't like that. People didn't like that. So they're going to oppose him, and that's not all. Here's something that really got my attention. He says, there's going to be a cost to Mary. He looks at Mary, he locks eyes with her, and he said, a sword is going to pierce your soul through this baby. And maybe that means that she's going to endure what every parent fears most. I watched my mom when my little brother died. Something, and some of you have lost children. And you know, you know this, the feeling of that tragedy. 
something happened in my mom's heart and her spirit and her personality. It's like the life just went out of her. Things that she kind of cared about or were passionate for just didn't matter anymore. And God in his mercy took, took my mother a, about six months later. But her joy, the light in her eye, the, the, the bounce in her step, everything was just gone when she lost that child. I can't imagine. As a parent, that is one of the worst things you can imagine. And, and he's looking at Mary, and Mary's having that feeling like, please no, please no, please please don't let that be what I think you're saying. Or maybe it means, too, that Mary herself, you know, you, you think you're just Messiah's mother? Yeah, I, I'm Mary, Messiah's mom. And he's saying, okay, that's fine, but he's also your Messiah. He's also your Lord, and he's going to expose your heart, Mary, and you're going to have to decide. You're going to be exposed. And Simon's his words are mysterious. A lot of Bible guys talking code, you know. They just, you kind of think we would just come out and say it, but he doesn't. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to have a PhD in literature to figure out there's something ominous about this. There's this shadow that happens. And that's what happens. When you turn on a light, it casts shadows, right? Now, Thomas Kincaid has, has been called the painter of light. Here's one of his more familiar and this is not a good rendition of it, but in the original, this is really bright, and, and he just captures light. He's a modern-day artist. He's pretty popular. I think he's even, you know, he has a lot of works in Christian bookstores and things. Um, but, but you see the shadows that are cast because there's this light. That's often absent in his portraits. One of the things he's noted for is he, he does a portrait of a person, and there are no shadows. And I think we kind of want that to be, Jesus to be like that. Jesus never cast a shadow. Everybody likes Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. We know that's not true. We know that we've come to a place in history where his name is one of the most popular curse words that anybody could utter. People just spit that out when they're mad or when they're... And they use his name as a profanity. People don't like Christmas. You know, atheists who are buying billboards to, to kind of diss Christmas and to say, you don't need it. Why, why the hating? Why? Because Jesus is he's like a sword and he divides and, and he, he does cast a shadow. He casts a shadow. Now, what may be bad news is good news and what may be good news may be bad news. But even the bad news may be better than you think. Check this out. Let me just wrap up. But this, this is such a great verse. Verse 36 to 38 pulls this, this together. The Bible says that there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. See the detail that Luke writes with? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna is this, she's like a female version of Simeon. And, and Luke takes time to describe her. She's an ideal Jew. She's like Miriam out of the Old Testament. She's like Deborah, you know, the prophetess. I mean, she's from the tribe of Asher, which is, by the way, one of the lost ten tribes. She's 84. 
she's been a widow. She was married for seven years. Her husband died, and from that she never remarried. She said, you know, I'm, just kinda, I'm kind of content in this. And the Bible says she never left the temple. Now, on Temple Hill, there are these buildings built around it, which were like small residences. And most people think that she worked, you know, in and around the temple. And then she lived right there on site. You know, she had a place right there, so she, she never left. She was the kind of woman, she fasted, she prayed, she was real sincere, she was real genuine. Um, you know, she was always there, first one at church, you know, she didn't miss anything. Uh, she was just there. And we don't know much about how much of what Simeon had to say that she was able to hear, uh, but it was rather strange. This was kind of a weird thing to happen that she does what she does. She gives thanks to God, and then she starts spreading the news to those who are looking for the Bible says, the redemption of Israel. See, the coming of Jesus is good news for some and bad news for others. But in how we figure that out, you think, what, what, where is that going? I think the answer is right here with Simeon and Anna. I think they hold the key to this passage, the end of the story, making sense. You know, in verse 25, the Bible says, Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. In verse 38, when Anna comes along, it says, Anna spoke of the child, and she's looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both of these saw the coming of Jesus as good news and as something good. Maybe, I think, in the back of Luke's mind, this is crazy coincidence. Uh, he may have been thinking about this ancient prophecy from the mouth of Isaiah. I want you to look at this in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 9. Check this out. Breaking forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. It's the same word for consolation. He has brought consolation for his people, and he has redeemed Israel. He has redeemed, excuse me, Jerusalem. You see that both the things that Simeon and Anna say in two separate, uh, you know, prophetic utterances are tied together in this one scripture which was a prophecy about Messiah. It was fulfilled. One of them picked one part and one of them picked the other. Jesus is going to bring comfort to hurting people. He's going to bring redemption that speaks of our, our deliverance from this bondage uh, that we face of, of sin and of death and all the destruction, all of that. We need comforting. Haven't you ever need comforting? That's what he's come for. And I see that same idea in the second coming. There are those who, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I said something about the return of Christ. He goes, well, I hope he doesn't come back right now. I kind of hope he doesn't come today because I kind of need to get back together, and there's some things I need to do. And I thought, well, there, there are those kind of people who are like, no, I don't want him to come. And then there are other people who are like, well, I hope it's today. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be awesome if Jesus were to come today? And I didn't die, and you come to my service, and, you know, and all of that. And you say, okay, that, that's great, and that's honorable, and that's good. But wouldn't it be great if Jesus just came right now? Right now, right now. See, for some of you, that thrills your heart. For some, go, yeah, but no, I hadn't opened my Christmas presents yet. Yeah, but I, I was, I kind of wanted to see what happened on my show, you know, and how they, they were going to wrap it up. And, you know, there's all these other things. And that shows our hearts. And that shows why it's good news for some people and not so good for others. I don't know about you, but the Christmas before I came to Christ, I had begun to think about spiritual things. I came to Jesus, really began to walk with him on Easter Sunday night. That weekend, there was a lot of events unfolded. 
But by the Christmas before that, I was already thinking about my life, and is this it? Is this all there is? And, you know, I was just being, God was just graciously, tenderly frustrating me with this life that was not centered on Christ. And maybe he's doing that for you this Christmas. Maybe there are longings and desires. There's hopes and dreams that you have that that are buried in your heart that kind of come to the surface this time of the year. And you know it's not going to be fulfilled with cars or houses or careers or even relationships. You know, you get in a relationship, you think, oh, this is going to be it, this is it, this is it. And you realize this is awesome and this is beautiful, but even this is, there's something else. There's, There's something else in me. See, God's exposing your heart. He's doing just what he said he would do. And you need to be redeemed. You need to be redeemed. You need to be set free. And sometimes it's kind of a painful process to come to Jesus. You know, we had that big snow last week, and uh, I, don't, I can't do any more yard work, which is kind of like, yay, you know, no more guilt like when I walked them across the yard. But next spring, I'm going to hit it hard. And I'm going to invite everybody to come over and see my yard. It's going to look so good. Grass is going to look good. I'm going to plant new plants. It's going to be amazing. Beautiful. I know I will get homeowner of the year. I will beat the Egan's out. Boom, boom, easily. I don't care what else he does to his yard. You ever got out there? You ever get that spring fever and you really want to fix it up? And you buy those plants, and then, then those little plastic pots, and you pull them out, and there's that ball of soil, and the roots have been in that thing so long, they're all, you know, twisted around. And what do you do? You jab your hand up in there, and you kind of crunch it up, and you pull it out, and you try to pull those roots, you know, where they kind of get spread out, so they don't just keep growing in a circle. And in that process, you break some of them, but you don't care, do you? Because you know... What I'm doing is going to bring life. It's going to, you're going to grow. And you put it in a new environment. Folks, I really think that's what God is doing sometimes with us at Christmas. He just reaches in your life. And that frustration you feel, that disappointment with Christmas, that's something that happens inside. And you think, is this, is this all there is to it? No. It's not all there is to it. But God wants to set you free. There may be times he has to rough you up a little bit. He has to remind you that you're a sinner. He has to let you see some of the stuff about yourself. You know what? It hurts, but it's a severe mercy. Because it's good news. And at the end of all these things, it's going to bring comfort and redemption for you. It's not just for Israel anymore. It's for us. It's for you. It's for me all of us because Jesus has come and he will come again. He will come again. We watch for that and we wait for that and we console one another with that truth. And in this space, God has given us Christmas and in Christmas he's given us salvation. Salvation. That's what Christmas about. That's what it is. Will you embrace that? Will you receive that? Don't let another Christmas be wasted. Don't let another Christmas go by in 
miss the significance and miss what this is really, what's going on with this. Not just about you getting stuff and the parties. and It's Jesus. Him wanting to save you. He wants to redeem you. Would you stand, please? Would you bow your heads with me for a second? We're going to have just an old-fashioned altar call. And the call here is for you to come to Jesus. That this baby in the manger was never meant to be a baby that stayed in a manger. He was Messiah. And he grew up to become the Savior of the world by going to the cross and dying for your sins. And then being raised on the third day in a glorious resurrection so that you could live in heaven forever with him. That your sins could be washed away. It all started with Christmas. It could all start with, for you this Christmas right now. It's by giving your life, giving your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of his and you just let other things kind of crowd their way in and you've forgotten. You've forgotten what this is for, what it's about. Come back. Come back today. Father, thank you for your grace, your severe mercy in our lives. I thank you for this this prophecy and how we see the fulfillment of it through the words of Simeon and Anna for including that in the story and let us see what happens the day after Christmas. Father, it's so beautiful and it has such meaning and significance for us. I pray that you would show the application of that. There are some in this room that are facing Christmas without Jesus. I pray that they would surrender and give themselves away to you so that you could redeem them and save them and set them free. No more guilt, no more death. All the bondages just to be released. For those of us who have gotten a little cynical and a little jaded about this, Father, would you refresh our hearts and bring us back that spirit and that joy of celebration that Messiah has really come and that you will come again. We set our eyes and our hearts on that. and We look for you. In Jesus' name.